Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Renee Evans. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com. How's everyone doing? Good? Good. Me too. Wow. I just, I hear some of those testimonies that we we speak of in the beginning of the service sometimes like 10 times a week. With all, we open all of our meetings, our corporate meetings and our staff meetings with sharing the good news. So sometimes I hear those testimonies over and over and over again, and they never get old. Never. And it's incredible. I'm always in awe of what God is doing in this place. It's just humbling and amazing. Okay, we are just going to jump. Let me just get a little bit organized. We're just going to jump right in tonight. Okay. I am going to read from Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Now, this is a passage of scripture that we have all heard a ton of times. So I just want to ask you to just listen with different ears, with new ears. And we're just going to ask for the Lord to encounter us tonight. Amen? Okay. Now, it came to pass after these things that, Abraham test, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of God, which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Okay, let's pray. God, I thank you that you give us your word as an invitation to encounter you. I thank you that you fill it with mysteries and stories that provoke curiosity and revelation within us, God. 
And God, I thank you that you are so willing to encounter every single one of us, that you're not waiting for us to get our ducks in a row. You're not waiting for us to live the life that you called us to live, but you're simply just waiting for us to say yes and to open our hearts towards you. So we just do that tonight, Jesus, and we just ask for you to come and encounter us in your goodness and in your glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so the title of my message tonight is You Are the Offering. I did have a backup title just in case that one didn't go down so well called God Likes You Crispy. (laughs) Maybe I should stick with that one. That one seemed to go over better. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about this passage of Scripture. I don't know about you, but I remember growing up in the Baptist church, I've heard this Scripture be read and preached on a number of times. I've read it myself many times, and I don't know why, but I always just assumed that Isaac was a little kid. I always just assumed that he was a child. But you see, I started doing some digging around, and I started looking into it a little bit more. And actually, based on several different factors, one of them being Sarah's age, and one of them being the fact that the wood was laid upon his back as he climbed a mountain, And there are several theologians, nine in fact, that range his age between 19 years old and 36. And there is more proof that he actually was a young man as opposed to a boy. Does that change the story a little bit? It changes it a little bit for me. Because you see, I always just thought that Isaac didn't have a say in this. But in fact, I think Abraham, and rightly so, gets a lot of glory for this story. But sometimes we downplay Isaac's part in this story. And that was that he willingly became an offering for the Lord. Now, just to give you a little bit of context, so Abraham was about 137 And I realized that back in the day, they lived a lot older, um, older age than we do. So I did a little bit of a comparison for us. I grabbed a 104-year-old man. I thought that that's more relative to age. But I just wanted to show you this slide of the difference between a 35-year-old man and a 104-year-old man. (laughs) I had to represent Australia with with Thor, but... (laughs) And I chose this man because I'm like, come on, does he not have style like crazy? Man, we can learn from him. He is styling. I love it. Anyway, I'm guessing that a 35-year-old man, right? I mean, you can imagine Abraham in the desert just kitted out like that, huh? Maybe, maybe not. (laughs) But as you can probably see, That a 36, 35, even a 19-year-old, if we're going to take the lower end of the spectrum, man, could most likely beat a 137-year-old man, right? So this kind of tells us the role that Isaac had in this sacrifice. And it becomes a lot more of a pivotal story for us, I think. You know, I, um, 
I think that there are many areas in our life that the Lord asks us to offer. You can take that down now. Unless you just enjoy looking at that, and then that's okay too. <laughs> no judgment here. Um, <laughs> but I think that there are many areas of our life that the Lord asks us to continually offer to Him. And I'm going to touch on three of them tonight. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but I'm going to touch on three of them tonight. And the first one I want to talk about is the sacrifice of control. Now, I do realize that there is a good control, and that is self-control. I realize it's a fruit of the Spirit. I realize that. I know Proverbs 25, 28, it says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And 2 Timothy 1, 7, we all know this one. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and a self-control. So I do understand that there is good control, but that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the desire that we have to control our lives, to control our relationships, and to control people. Because we all do. I mean, none of us are perfect in this area. We're all a work in progress. Amen? You see, it's the goal of the non-believer to always remain in control. I mean, isn't that the American dream? Right? Safety, security, money. I'm going to control my money so I don't run out, so I can control exactly what I want to spend it on. I'm going to control my safety. I'm going to control my security. I mean, it's the American dream. I mean, that's why I'm here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> but seriously, it's, that's kind of what's ingrained in us in such a young age. But you see, it's the goal of the believer that we live a life that is fully surrendered our control to the Lord. You know, control is rooted in fear. I'm going to quote my husband on this one, and he said, our need to understand, oh, our need to understand is rooted in control, and control is rooted in fear. You see, I love listening to these stories and of the Bible and reading them and pulling things out that I don't, sometimes I can skip over them, and sometimes I'll read them and they smack me in the face. And <laughs> I was doing this to this passage, and all of a sudden the word three days stuck out to me. And I began to think to myself, God, why didn't you just ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac that morning, that day, out the front of his tent? I mean, that's a lot easier than a three-day trek to Moriah. But what I believe is that sometimes he takes us on a journey. Sometimes this control and this fear of the unknown is so deeply rooted in us that it takes a journey to get there. And I don't know if you can imagine this. I mean, as a parent, any parent can kind of get a glimpse of imagining sacrificing your child. I mean, kind of, right? Not really. But could you imagine every single step that Abraham made? For three days, he made step after step towards the unimaginable the inconceivable thing that God had asked him to do. I can't imagine that there was silence on that trip. I have to believe that as a friend of God, which we know he was because he spoke to God like a friend in the chapter's behalf where he went 
and he stood for um, Sodom and he asked God not to destroy that city because of righteous people. He bargained with God, which tells us he had relational equity with God. So I cannot imagine that three-day journey was a silent one. I don't know about you, but I would just be like, God, why? I can't believe you're asking me to do this. Isn't this the promise that you gave me? How are you going to redeem this? Three days. Three days he went through that. But he kept going. And see, that's where I think some of us stop. When we don't know the answer, we don't see the full picture, we don't have control of what's going to happen, so instead of walking towards it in faith, we simply get immobilized in fear. And we must give up control in order for us to continue to walk this walk of faith. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It's like the refrigerator scripture, right? I mean, it's on every Christian calendar that you're going to buy. It's like, it's the one that we quote to everyone to comfort them, to make them feel better. But how much do we really live by this scripture, Trust not in your own understanding, because what we don't understand scares us. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. See, I think that we can learn to let go of control the more we trust And if one thing is evident from this story, it's that Isaac trusted his father. He didn't know what was going on. In our day and age, we'd say he was crazy. But he trusted not only his father, but his father's relationship with the Lord and willingly laid his life down. See, I think sometimes we can miss out on encounters with the Lord because we try to control them. We're like, oh, hey, God, encounter me in my box over here. Has to look like this. Oh, Lord, please don't make it look like that. Right? But you see, the moment we start to control the way that God encounters, it's the moment that we limit how much he can use us. So we're like, oh, use me, use me. But just don't encounter me like this. (laughs) We, uh, We had the honor of going down to San Marcos as a leadership team to hear of a um, a man named Jack Taylor. Has anyone heard of Jack Taylor before? He's a man, I think he's 83, was that right? 83? 85. There you go. And he has been living in revival for decades and decades and decades. And you know the one thing I took away? I mean, he was just saying a lot of wisdom. But the one thing I took away was he said, the more I do this, the less I know. (laughs) I mean, isn't that true? I feel like we finally start to get somewhere where we just give up 
trying to know everything, trying to control everything, trying to understand everything. You know, I um, we obviously, you know, have Bethel Austin here, and it can be busy sometimes, if you can imagine, um, running this place and having three little kids and just doing the balance of life. And I remember we were going into a conference weekend, I think it was last year, and there was laundry all over my house. Like, I hate laundry. I hate it. I hate it. I can put it in the washing machine, in the dryer. I hate folding. Oh, anyone else? I'm like, I would pay good money for a machine that can fold my washing. <laughs> I always say Joaquin is allergic to folding washing. He's good at doing washing. Like, he'll transfer it, but he just leaves it clean on top of the dryer. <laughs> and I'm like, hmm. Anyways, we were just about... <laughs> <laughs> we were just about to leave to come to the first night of the conference, and I just was looking at my house, and it looked like a bomb had hit it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I have to get this house clean. Like, I have to. And so I start putting all my energy into cleaning my house. And soon enough, I'm getting really anxious and overwhelmed, and then I start getting mad at Joaquin. Anyone else not appreciate it when your husband or partner does not jump on board with your anxiety? <laughs> it's like they should know right now and drop everything they're doing and join me in the drama that I am creating. <laughs> but anyway, my husband, ever the voice of reason and even kill man that he is, I was like, babe. I was like, I just feel really anxious and overwhelmed right now. And he's like, yeah. He's like, well, it's because you're putting all of your energy into trying to control something that you have the ability to control because you don't have control over a lot of other areas of your life at the moment. And it wasn't in a bad way, but like I didn't have control how many people were going to show up for the conference. I didn't have control over how much tithes and offerings was coming in. I didn't have control all of over all of these different areas that are real areas in my life. So the one area that I did have control over was my house. <laughs> and so I put all my energy and all my focus into cleaning my house. And I became so anxious and overwhelmed until my husband sozoed me, <laughs> like he often does. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. I am just trying to grab on to some control. And that's what we all do in different areas, isn't it? We become anxious and overwhelmed. And if we actually took a step back, we're like, oh, it's because I'm actually just trying to gain control over something. So I think this is a daily thing that we need to give to the Lord. And that's the sacrifice of control. We don't need to be in a control he does a way better job than we do. You know, it's kind of like a painting trying to tell the artist how it should be done. I mean, it's just silly, right? So the other area that I believe that we need to sacrifice is comfort. I know, I know, this is not a fun one. I'll try to make it lighthearted if I can. I actually don't have any jokes for this one, but <sighs> you may just have to bear with me. 
You know, Matthew 16, 24 to 25, it says, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That doesn't sound comfortable, right? You know, I'm very well aware that our comfort is first world Western comfort. I'm not up here saying like, you know, I mean, I'm very well aware that there is a persecuted church and that there are martyrs out there who are dying for their faith. And I think it's good that we all remember that. It puts our discomfort into perspective. I want to just read you a story. My cousin in Australia, she works for an organization that actually supports the persecuted church. And she got this story, and it says this. It's Miriam and Mizrae were sentenced to death. They live in Iran. They were sentenced to death after they were caught distributing more than 20,000 Bibles in Iran. The women would fill a backpack with Bibles and put them in letterboxes under the cover of darkness. After being caught, they were placed in Ivin Prison, one of the world's most notorious prisons, where other Christians were regularly beaten, tortured, and killed for their faith. They were regularly dragged before a judge who told them that the only way to escape their sentence was to deny Jesus. Write one sentence saying that you'll convert from Christianity to Islam and we'll let you go, he would say. But faith overcame fear each time and the women refused to convert. The judge grew more and more frustrated. You don't understand. If you do this, you will die here. And listen to what they said to him. No, you don't understand. The woman replied, We've been threatened with death before. That's not the problem. We're not afraid of death. What we're afraid of is a life without faith. A life without our Savior, Jesus Christ. Their lawyer later told them that if they would convert to Islam, they could exploit a loophole allowing them to tell a lie of convenience and their charges would be dropped. And they said, we will never convert, not even for the sake of momentary convenience. After 259 days behind bars, they were finally released and they sought asylum here in the U.S. and live here today. But that's discomfort. And sometimes all God is saying, hey, will you go pray for that person? I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to be out of my comfort zone today. I mean, some of us, he asks us to sell everything, to live on the mission field and to live a lifestyle that is not comfortable but for most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, our comfort, it is the least that we can do for him. You know, um, I think a gospel that only teaches health and wealth without suffering and persecution isn't a full gospel. And so this may be the not-so-fun side of the gospel, but it is the gospel nonetheless. 
you know, we were pretty comfortable in Reading. We were pretty comfortable. I mean, we wanted to move. We felt the Lord calling us to move, but it wasn't a comfortable choice. And who knows that when you take new ground, you declare war on the enemy. So you better believe when our feet hit the ground here that we stepped into a battle zone. And we want to tell everyone, oh, it was amazing. This is what God is doing. And yes, he is. And that is worth shouting. But I can't even begin to tell you how hard the first three months of our life were when we got here. The attacks that we had on our health, on our family. But look, wasn't it worth it? Isn't it always worth it? It's always worth the discomfort. Because what he births out of this temporary discomfort will be beyond our wildest dreams. But we have to be prepared to get uncomfortable. And Philippians 3.10 says, And I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his sufferings, and I will be one with him in his death. Sometimes we like to leave the end of that scripture out. See, I don't believe that the Lord always asks us. I don't believe that our sacrifice of comfort is all that big. It's more a sacrifice of inconvenience for most of us, right? But I just want us to bring it back into perspective. I was reading through stories from people in North Korea, Erita, and all of these nations that are some of the most deadliest nations to live if you're a Christian. And yet they choose discomfort on a daily basis. How much more should we? You know, the last area that I want to I touch on is so the sacrifice of control, the sacrifice of comfort, and then the sacrifice of calling. You know, I know that in Romans, I know that it says for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I know that. But would you agree that Isaac was ordained to be on this earth by God. I mean, born to a 90-year-old woman, I'd say that's a miracle. Would you say that Jesus was ordained to be on this earth, born to a virgin? He asked them to sacrifice themselves. But you see, sometimes we get a call from God, and we begin to look at this call and we begin to fantasize about this call. And this call sometimes takes a spot of lordship in our life and becomes an idol. <laughs> it's usually our logic that if he's given something, he's not going to try to take it back. But he gave Abraham Isaac... 
and he asked Isaac, he asked Abraham to offer as a burnt offering his son. The one that the nations were to be birthed out of. I mean, we hear all through Genesis, you know, in 17.4, it says, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. And in Genesis 17.6 and 7, he says, God, I will make you, God said, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you, their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I mean, Isaac was the promised child. Isaac was the calling. And yet God asked Abraham to sacrifice the calling. This is where my tissues come in handy. (sighs) This next part. I had this encounter I haven't really told very many people about it, so it's a little bit vulnerable for me to tell 500 of you. Um, (laughs) But here we go. Okay, so for reasons, when Joaquin and I were dating, we ended up breaking up. I know, it's crazy, right? And I will give you a little backstory. I won't go into too much detail, but I'll give you a little bit of backstory. You know, we just looked really different. We looked really different. We encountered God differently. We felt like we had different callings. I was like, I want to pastor a church. Joaquin's like, I want to just go to crusades, and I want to see people saved, and I want to preach the gospel. I want to go to huts in Africa, and I want to just see, like, you know, like this whole grandiose thing. And I'm like, oh, I want to pastor a church. Oh, these look really different. And it's like, if I can put it this way, naturally, I'm quite an extrovert, if you can tell. I like people a lot. I like making friends. But my spiritual life, I am an introvert. I mean, when I want to have an encounter with the Lord, I'm like, shut the door. Don't let anyone come in. I'm going to light the candles. I'm going to put on the worship music. I'm going to create the atmosphere. No one else but me and Jesus. And that's like my perfect encounter. (laughs) Well, Keen, on the other hand, believe it or not, he's actually an introvert. (laughs) I know many of you might not know that from him preaching, um, which is really funny because he gets off stage and everyone's like, does he like me? I'm like, yeah, he just doesn't talk very much. Like, it's not you. It's just, (laughs) you think that this is him? Like, he's all like, (laughs) you know, but that's not really, you know, he's a lot quieter when he gets off the stage. (laughs) I have to seriously, I mean, I had to explain that to my mom. I'm like, mom, he likes you. I'm like, he just doesn't like chit-chat. Like, that's just not his MO. So if you're waiting for him to chit-chat with you, it's probably not going to happen. He's really comfortable being silent. Which all extroverts are like, oh, that terrifies me. But see, he's an introvert naturally, but his spiritual life, he's like, extrovert to the max. He's like, oh, come in on my encounter. I'm going to take you all with me. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me, you know, and so when it comes to his spiritual life, he's like, (laughs) which we're very thankful for, right? 
But he's like, the more people, the better. And I'm like, everyone get out. I just want Jesus. <laughs> so that was a little bit of why we broke up. <laughs> we were just very different people. Let's just put it that way. And we had to kind of reconcile that. But we did, we did break up. And I actually thought, um, well, I actually thought that the Lord had told me that I was going to marry him before we broke up. And see, I always wanted to be a wife. I always wanted to be a mom. And I was, I don't know how old I was at the time, like 27 or something. And you know, as a 27-year-old thing, so I'm like, oh, there goes my chance. That was my last chance. You know, because when you're in your 20s, everything's so dramatic. Um, <laughs> I love you 20-year-olds. But, but it's real. Um, and so I had this moment, my perfect moment, where I'm like, I'm in heartbreak, right? I'm brokenhearted, and I feel like all my dreams and what the Lord has told me is just gone. So I'm like, my solution, I'm going to go up to the mountains to an Airbnb. Oh, it wasn't an Airbnb. It was just a regular bed and breakfast when they had those. Um, and it was this gorgeous place up in Shasta, in the mountains in Shasta. And the, you didn't even have to see anyone if you didn't want to. It was awesome. Like they would come and knock on your door at like 7 a.m. and bring you like muffins and hot coffee. And then they'd just leave. And then they'd come back again at 9 and bring like a fully cooked breakfast. I was just like, I am living my best life. This is awesome. I haven't seen anyone in three days. It's just me and Jesus. But <laughs> I will tell you that those three days were the best and the worst and the hardest three days of my life. See, I felt like the Lord said, I don't want you to take your computer. You can have music, but I don't want you to take your phone. I just want you to be with me. So I had books, I had worship music, and I had a canvas with some paint. No TV. And I was like, oh my gosh, well, this is like really, really alone with you. Like, no TV. <sighs> okay, we can do this. And I have to say, the first day, it was hard. I was really bored. I mean, again, I'm an extra. I like encounters, but then I like being around people after my encounters finished. But then they had, like, this bathtub, so I literally would get in the bath, get out of the bath. An hour later, get back in the bath. <laughs> like, this was my day for eight hours just because I, I didn't know what to do with myself because I'm like, well, I'm talking to God. It was great. And then the Lord began to talk to me, and he's like, do you know why I called you away? And I was like, no, like maybe you just want to be with me, like I want to be with you. He's like, yes, but there's a purpose, <laughs> like there always is. And the Lord took me on what I can only really describe as probably the most stripping moments of my life. He began to reveal and put in front of me every single time that I had sinned. Every single time I'd exaggerated the truth, that I'd gotten upset or angry. I mean, everything. Everything. I couldn't even sleep the first night. I was just so racked with guilt and with shame. And he let me go to bed like that. 
And I'd like to say I woke up in the morning and there was joy in the morning, but there wasn't. (laughs) It was another day like the day before. And I was just sitting in his presence as he was just doing open heart surgery on me. And it was painful. It was so painful. Every idol that I'd put in my life. You know, one of the biggest things that he revealed to me is like, Renee, you always go to people for advice before me. And I was like, dang it, that hurts. (laughs) I remember just sitting there, and then he asked me a question. He said, you know... You say you want to be a mom, you say you want to be a wife, and you say you want to be a pastor, but would you give those up for me? And I was like, went to open my mouth, because I'm like, oh, I know the answer to this one. I was taught this one in Bible school. I was taught the answer to this in Sunday school. Yes, yes, I'll give everything to you. I mean, I sing it all the time, like, don't we? But he said, ah. I don't want you to answer me right now. I want you to actually think about giving those things up for me. And the next hours, hours, he began to show me pictures of my children. And then he let me grieve over them. And he said, be careful how you answer me because I will hold you to it. And to be honest, I mean, I love the church, I love my calling, but that was easier for me to say, okay, I'll give that up, than it was to be a mom and to be a wife. And so these hours went by where I'm like, wow, I'm never going to have a wedding. (laughs) And he was like, am I all you need? Are you just singing songs to me, or do you actually mean it? If it was just you and me like this forever would you be okay? And I wasn't okay. (laughs) I'd like to say I was. I mean, I feel like I should say I was being your pastor and all, but I'm I'm sorry. I didn't. I was (laughs) glaringly aware of the fact that he wasn't all I needed and all I wanted. I wanted more. And so that was the second day I remember I woke up in the morning on the third day, and he's like, now you can answer me. And as I began to think about and recall the last day and the pain of saying goodbye to my dreams and to what I felt like was my calling, this joy and this peace filled my heart in such a tangible way. And it came in the room and I was on the ground. I could not even get off the ground. His presence was so thick. And in that moment, I truly got it. I'm like, oh, you are all I need. If you will be on me like this, if I can encounter you like this every day, then I will gladly give those things up for you, God. Knowing exactly what I was giving up. And I cannot tell you the joy and the hope that I felt in that moment and the contentment 
And if you had have asked me, I would have stayed in that room. I would have stayed in that room and been so content with him. And I had the best day, the most presence-filled day that I've ever had in my life to this day. And he said to me afterwards, he said, because you have truly laid it all on the altar for me, I am giving it back to you. But sometimes he doesn't give it back. And we have to be okay with that. Like, are we in this because it's just fun? Or are we in this because he died for us and he asks us to die for him? Because dying is not comfortable. And sometimes we need to die to our callings. We need to remove them from idols in our life. And we need to just be content with him and with his presence. You know, because it's not the calling that we chase. It's the one who called us. And it's the same with miracles. It's not the miracles we chase. It's the miracle maker that we chase. And so I feel like the Lord is giving us an invitation. And you know, I know that we actually say that a lot around here. <laughs> I know that ministry time, we're like, there's an invitation. But I felt it so weighty today that God wanted to invite us to freshly lay our lives on the altar for him. To be like Isaac, to be like Jesus, and give it all up if he asks us to. You know, we were in Reading not that long ago at the Leaders Advance, and if any of you know Bill Johnson's affinity for revival history, then you know how much he loves it, and he actually has a general's library. And it's where he, he actually gathers artifacts from revival history. So he's got um, like Smith Wigglesworth's piano. He's got benches and chairs from the Welsh revival. And he's got like some of Billy Graham's sermon notes. Like it's pretty cool. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We all got really undone. And it was awesome. And I may or may not have stolen the little white gloves that touched Amy Simple McPherson's sermon notes. Sorry, Bill. I'll pay him back. But <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And again, we have such a value for revival history. We're not elevating people to a place where God should be. But we do give honor where honor is due. And some of these men and women, the one thing that they actually all had in common was that they lived a life of surrender. See, how much do we want revival? Do we only want it when it's fun, when people are shaking and laughing on the floor, when people are getting healed, or do we want it when we're being persecuted? Do we want it when the emails come in? 
and you want to take your pasta hat off and put a different hat on. I'm just kidding. Kind of. Not really. Feel free to email me. Um, I'm actually kinder when I respond. Um, I'm just kidding. But do we want it when it's inconvenient? You know, when we were in the general's library, we all had this moment where we were all gathering around and we were just on our knees and we just started worshiping and the presence of God was so thick in that place. And I kept asking God, I'm like, what? I mean, I know it's you. I know it's your presence, but what is this weight that I'm feeling? And he's like, it's the weight of sacrifice that you live the way you can live and in the revival that you're living in because the men and women before you have sacrificed everything. And then I started listening to this song and I just became a mess (laughs) all over again. Kess is actually going to lead us in this song tonight, but it's kind of like communion. If I said, hey, come down the front if you want to do this, chances are 50% of you will run to the front right now. And that is awesome. But I actually want you to just sit in your seats or stand. And I want you to listen to these words. And I want you to begin to sing these words. And not everyone has to respond. Please hear me. Not everyone has to respond, and that's okay. We're all in different places of our journey. But I don't know about you, but I want to get back. I want to get back to that day when nothing else mattered but him. Where it was so easy to lay my dreams on the altar. It was so easy to lay control and comfort and calling on the altar. I don't want that to be just one encounter. I want it to be my life. And so we're going to sing. And if you want to respond, then I want to invite you to come and kneel, if you can, at the altar. Because I just feel like this is a recalibration. It's a recalibration. Power falls on surrender. Fire falls on sacrifice. And I'm asking if you will and if you want it to join me in being a sacrifice that he will fall on. That he will pour his fire out on. Because if not for our sake and not for our children, children's sake, then for the sake of Austin, for the sake of this world. Let's just get rid of momentary discomfort. Let's get rid of our need to control. And let's just let him encounter us the way that he wants to encounter us. Thank you, Jesus.
Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit www.bethelchurchaustin.com.